0: In your house. In your house. In your house. hey hey it's conrad thompson and you're listening to foley is pod and of course we couldn't do it without the hall of famer himself the hardcore legend mr mick foley mick how are you man i've got a brand new shirt
1: so i'm hey doing now, god look at that
0: cactus, cactus jack steakhouse and saloon Very nice. Available now, com. So listen, man, I'm excited to be here with you. We're going to be talking about uh, some WCW stuff today, but boy, I'd be remiss if we didn't mention that last week here on the program, we came out, and we threw it out there, we put it on a poll. What faction is the most significant in wrestling history? And the votes are in. I know you believed it was the bloodline. And this is eleven thousand votes. Um, oh yeah, we're we're well past that. Okay, okay. tens of thousands of votes okay. at this point. We've got uh, first place, the N.W.L.
1: Okay, what was the percentage?
0: A lot. Second place, DX. Okay. Third place, the Horseman. and with single digits. The bloodline. <laughs> Are you ahead of your time? I'm not going to say you're wrong. Do you think you're ahead of your
1: time? I think we'll look back at when you gauge, you know, as far as houses go. And, uh, well, it's a different... It's kind
0: of like if you ask guys, mine and your age, Jordan or LeBron? Right. I, I think...
1: I don't know your answer. Yeah. I Jordan. And also, when you look, it's impossible to compare ratings because, uh, you know, looking back on it... Everything's changed. Everything's changed dramatically. So, for example... Uh, the first, the initial ratings of uh, Most Wanted Treasures were not what I'd hoped they'd be. And they were down 24% from The Farewell a couple years ago, but it's also been noted that TV viewership in general is down 35%.
0: So that's pretty good.
1: So we're actually, yeah, as far as ratings, and there's so many more options, not saying people are watching less TV, but as far as traditional ratings go, it's it's a different game. And you look at those ratings, you'd go, God, if... Those would be the worst ratings ever if it was 10 years ago. Right. But uh, A&E's happy with it. Um, and again, uh, the bloodline Roman's not out there every night like the the Horsemen were, or like DX or uh, NWO we was. We
0: have the benefit of hindsight and nostalgia. Like most of the folks who voted in this poll didn't necessarily quote unquote grow up with the bloodline. Yeah. But a generation from now, they would have. Right. So, like, uh, our NWO is today's generation's bloodline. And I think we've
1: just got to give it a little time. It's so much. But what I like is it's so much different yes. than what anyone has presented before. Right. Um, and my it's, tribal chief. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'll never yes, get tired of that. Yes,
1: my tribal chief. And, uh, okay, so uh, the popular opinion is not the one that I uh, espoused. But uh, thank you to the... Tens.
0: I mean we had twelve thousand votes in an hour, man. In an hour. That's People incredible. Were at, I, mean, I didn't like, even know we had that many listeners. Oh buddy. Come are on, we
1: are we is the show doing pretty well?
0: Yeah, the show's doing great. Okay. All right. Uh speaking of shows, this past week was episode two of Most Wanted Treasures, and we got to see DX. Yeah. Um, what'd you think? You got to see that the episode <laughs> back for the first time since you did it? What'd you think?
1: Yeah, it was actually the first episode that I was able to see was a rough cut of the DX. Okay. I watched about 20 minutes. And I thought, wow, this is really coming together well. And there was the payoff there at the uh, Barclays Center in Brooklyn uh, where you can see that we did get the Jeep at least for one night. It's, it's, it, it was a fun episode. It was uh, a lot of traveling involved, but it was a fun episode. Road Dog was great to work with and funny as always. And He's we hope witty. He, he is. He He's enough quick, man. That. He is really quick um, and always has been. Um, and we hope people will tune in and give it a try. I think they'll like it.
0: I think they'll like it too. And I hope you like what we're doing today. It's going to be a lot of fun, man. We're picking up where we left off in your journey through WCW. Spring Stampede 1994 is where you teamed with Max Payne to take on the Nasty Boys in Chicago. And man, your body went through a lot of punishment. Please go check it out in the archives over at foleyonyoutube.com. But at this point in time, you're thinking you're going to get to take some time off and go get your ear fixed, right?
1: Right. When I realized the company was not interested in uh, promoting what seemed to be a gift from the wrestling gods, uh, I was going to take some time off. It would be about six months for the complete ear construction. And uh, the match with me and Max in the Nasties was supposed to be my last match in WCW before getting that reconstructive surgery. Um, Kevin Sullivan called me the next day, I guess, EVAD, Dave Sullivan, um, had been injured. And Kevin's brother, he asked me if I would team up with him the next month to take on the Nasties in Philadelphia. And at that point, I put everything else on hold, went back. and, and, you know, I, I'm glad that—I mean, I'm kind of glad I didn't get the reconstruction done. You know, it's it's become part of me, same way the missing teeth are. I'll probably have the teeth uh, repaired in the next couple of years, especially the bottom ones. The top ones I'm not that concerned about. Um, but I did come back, and we had an epic match. I never did get the construction. I never got the six months off. Instead, I gave my notice and was treated really well on my way out. Of WCW, ended up with a couple of uh, really good matches on my way out.
0: Did the wife ever push for you to get the year done?
1: <sighs> I think she thought it was hot. Yeah, I, I do. I think my wife thought it may uh, have been attractive. Wow. How about and I that? don't think she's the only female fan, or male fan for that matter. I'm picking who, up put your are putting down. Yeah, you smell what I'm cooking, yeah. It's a, it's a uh. neat
0: look the big story around spring Pete is that Hulk Hogan is supposedly on his way in the WCW. I mean, at this point, I mean, just to take everybody back and give context, starting in 1984, I mean, he was hot in the AWA, but starting in 1984, the company, the WBF really started to build their entire organization around him. WrestleMania mm-hmm. was huge with Mr. T and he's on the cover of sports illustrated and he's got Saturday morning cartoons and he's on MTV becomes a part of pop culture. And just becomes really the man for the next 10 years with the organization, the face of professional wrestling. And now there's an opportunity for him to come into WCW. So I'm sure from an organizational standpoint, they're thrilled. Yeah. Oh yeah. We've got the biggest star of them all coming here as a guy on the roster. Are you excited thinking maybe this is a guy I could work with a crazy maniacal cactus. Jack would be a great villain for Hulk Hogan. Or do you think, well, he ain't going to want to work with me. That'll, I don't do his style. Or, what's oh, I
1: think I thing? could have had it. Whenever I'm asked the live shows, who's the one guy I wish I could have worked with, I used to have a list of three, Brody, Flair, Hogan. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Brody, you know, was, clearly that's not going to happen. Rick and I had a, a yeah. few really good matches, some great promos back and forth, and I just wish I'd stuck around TNA about three months longer. There's two types of people in this world, Conrad. The type who admit it's a big deal to be in the ring with Hogan, type who pretend it isn't, and it was a big deal. I got to cut I think two promos, and it's uh, it's it's pretty awe inspiring to be standing face to face with him. And I think if I'd stayed, we could have had a, a good. I mean, it would have been. Uh, <laughs> We're not looking for? Challenging? <laughs> methodical. Yes. It would have been methodical. It's, it wouldn't have been a, a, a great...
0: Wouldn't have been the 91 version of the match. Yeah,
1: yeah. But I think we could have told a good story. And as I was able to show when I did the match with Rick, you know, that with a really good opponent, you know, it could bring out the best in me. And I believe Hulk, oddly enough, I think emotionally, I would have been so up for that match and and partially to win Hulk's approval, you know, um, that I think we could have had a good match. Just going back to 2010, I think. So this is 13 years ago. Yeah, I wish I'd stuck around just so I could do the match with Hulk. And just a teaser for an upcoming episode, you know, you sometimes don't know what's going to make the final cut. Uh, But Hulk and I had a really good conversation when I met up with him at the beach shop. And based on the questions, follow-up questions, I was asked by A&E, they're going to make that part of the show. Mm. And it was something uh, pretty pretty touching. And I don't want to say more than that, but uh, it was not the type of conversation you think you're going to hear from the two
0: of us. I um, I know in the past several years, a lot of people have maybe changed their opinion about Hulk Hogan. But I just want to add context that in 1994... When he's trying to come into the yeah. organization, at this point you've been wrestling nine years.
1: Ah, uh, yeah, nine years.
0: Yeah. And when you get in in '85, he's the top of the mountain. Yeah, yeah. Like, so if you're trying to make it in wrestling, he represented the apex of what was possible in pro wrestling. Right. So the idea that he's coming in, and as you said, there's two types of people: people who will admit it's a big deal or not. Like once upon a time, he represented. It was possible, right? right? I mean, that was...
1: And I'm going to tell you something. I think I told this to Hulk in that conversation. I don't know if he included. And I understand the controversy and the use of the uh, racial epithet, you know. Um But what I told Hulk is that Shane Douglas told me when he was in D- WWE. He said, look, I know, you know, I, I was like the anti-Hogan type of working in my head, right. you know. But Shane told me that he wasn't a Hogan fan, but he said, I'll tell you what, Mick. He said every single night there were Make-A-Wish kids or other kids, and he said, and Hulk would make them feel like the most important people in the world. He said, I would walk by and these kids would just be beaming. So I told Hulk from the moment I heard that, it didn't matter what his matches were comprised of or what his personal thoughts about me were at any time. Like, he was over with me by virtue of the fact that he made a difference in the lives of children and he went above and beyond what he needed to do. and, uh, And he will always be over with me for that reason.
0: Well said. There's a lot of talk that uh, WCW and ECW were cooperating in this time frame here, and we've covered it in our Sabu episode, which you can check Mm -hmm. out in the archives. But were you aware that there were some talks between the the two companies with WCW running in the the Philadelphia area? They had that Slamboree pay-per-view coming up in Philly. Did you think there was a real chance that there was going to be more to this, I wouldn't say partnership, but... I mean, Kevin Sullivan was clearly pals with Paul Heyman.
1: Yeah, Kevin really enjoyed his time in ECW. Uh, uh, Nancy Benoit was Kevin's wife at the time. She stayed there, you know, and she was a big, a uh, valuable part of ECW as a Sandman's manager. So, and Kevin liked the fan. He liked that feeling. Like it was still a place where heels could get heat if they knew which buttons to push. Uh, And so later on, I ended up going over there in kind of a talent swap, you know, uh, where I did wrestle Sabu. Ron Simmons and Too Cold came in at one point. So uh, within a couple months, it was clear that there was a little bit of a relationship. Um, But at the time in May, I was, uh, ah, look, uh, Bloom was off the rose for me, right? I realized once I lost the year and it wasn't pushed that my time was limited. So I was kind of mentally kind of checked out by that point. I still wanted to have good matches, but I just wanted to do the right thing and have good matches on my way out with the hope of maybe someday coming back because I in no way, shape, or form thought that I was a WWE guy. I'm glad I was wrong about that.
0: Did you see Dave Sullivan hurt his
1: knee? I did not.
0: Um, you wrote in your book that you were awakened two days later by the sound of the telephone, and it was Kevin Sullivan telling you he needed a favor, needed needs a tag yeah. team partner. If anybody besides Kevin gives you a call, would it have been a different answer? Like, did you feel like you owed Kevin uh, a debt of gratitude? Did you feel like, you know, I want to help him out? Or is it a pride thing? Or what makes you say yes? I think
1: Kevin can be pretty persuasive. Uh, I was also in some hot water for <laughs> <laughs> for talking to current Ravan or whatever the show was. Curran about Curt Affair about the uh, lawsuit that Missy Hyatt had. Yeah. Max Payne, at that time, a lot of guys stayed at the Clarion, I think it was called the Clarion Hotel, and you could literally walk across the parking lot to the uh, Rosemont Horizon. So there were some reporters. Max said there are some proper channels you had to go through, and I went, what do you need to know and I kind of in character talked about the Missy Hyatt uh, lawsuit and said if she can dig her hands into Ted's deep pockets, that was the quote. So I'd already been reprimanded either <laughs> earlier that day or one day prior.
0: Good timing. Uh, a good timing. And so, I mean, Kevin was persuasive. Uh, you wrote in your book, he kind of guilted you a little bit saying he was worried about his spot without Dave. Did you
1: really uh, believe that? Well, Like I said, he can be persuasive. Okay, but I imagine if if Rick Rick had asked me to stick around to be his partner of Hulk had, there were a number of guys that I probably would have put the the surgery off for. But I was happy to do it. You know, I was, and we had a pretty epic match with the Nasties. You wrote in your
0: book that Rick Flair would call, and it's he that calls and says that they're interested in going quote unquote all the way with you. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. did you really go to TV because of that conversation? Did you really believe him? or I mean, because you just said the bloom is off the rose. But if you get a persuasive call from Kevin, you do feel like maybe you need to do him a masala. then you get the call for Brick. Do you think they were trying to change your opinion and turn the ship around?
1: Like I said, they never once sat down with me. I believe I'd given my notice by then. Right. So it's unusual they put the tag titles on a guy who's given his notice. Didn't bury me at all. I had a good swan song. and I think we're going to talk about it in a minute. Uh, You know, loser leaves town match with uh, Kevin. Uh, So I think in order, the phone calls came. um, Eric, (laughs) Kevin, Rick. And uh, yeah, I believe that they were going to push us. And they did.
0: Let's talk a little bit about... um You know, your motivation at this point. So, if you're going back and you're going to, I mean, I just want to add context. When you're going to go on The Independence, when you're fresh off TV, you charge a little more money, you're in a little higher demand. So, that's got to be in the back of your mind, too, that, hey, maybe I am leaving, but if I'm going to be able to do some more cool stuff on TV.
1: I'm laughing now because I'm remembering uh, that there was something I had to uh, change in the book because of legal issues. When I asked Rip Rogers about turning heel on Kevin Sullivan right before I went out on the independence, I said, Rip, I'm just uh, afraid it's going to, you know, affect, you know, my value on the independence. He goes, CAC, first of all, Kevin Sullivan is the least sympathetic <laughs> wrestler in the company. He goes, and everyone knows his quote was, Dave is just stealing money from the company. Which I had to change to Dave is mediocre because Dave Sullivan was not actually yes. actively <laughs> stealing money. Yes. Rip was saying he was getting paid without doing A nice guy. Yes. He's a, well, how was the match? He's a nice guy. Yeah. But how was the match? He's a nice guy. I love that. Man. Um <laughs> so so I was I was I was raring to go and wanted to make the best of it. You know, you I, say- but I will hold on one second. I will say that part of the issue I had and I wrote about this in the book is because they would tape the MGM Hollywood Studios, uh, it's called Disney, now it's just Hollywood Studios, um, they would tape them up 10 weeks in advance. You could see what was happening to your push. And in the tapings, we had already lost the titles, like past tense, by the time we lost the titles. So even if Kevin and I were, you know, knocking out, even if we were selling out houses and the T-shirts, uh, it was, it was written. The writing was on the wall. So my initial, "We're going to go all the way with you," was quickly tampered by uh, tempered by the reality that they weren't going all the way with us. That we were already scheduled to lose the titles.
0: You know, you've got your mind made up that you want to leave, but and and you've said that they never called to try to change your mind or talk you into something else or what have you maybe you reconsider was there anything they could have said or did you already have your mind made? well uh,
1: money talks right right and the way to show me they cared would have been to not only say we want you back but to give me a bump i did ask eric uh, at some point about the possibility of a bump in pay and that wasn't in the cards at that time. And again, going back to what we talked about, you're kind of in a conundrum where you can't be a top guy unless you're making top guy money, you can't make top money unless you're a top guy money, unless you're a top guy. And uh, so there was definitely the perception, i go so far as to say reality, well not, there wasn't a real glass ceiling, but figuratively speaking, there was a glass ceiling and we weren't going to rise above it. And I just felt like I could do more elsewhere. And for anyone who's a parent, you know they're giving up a guaranteed income, especially when it's six figures, even if it's you know relatively low six figures, still six figures guaranteed. And to go out there in the wilder world of independence and later on, the even wilder world of Japan and ECW, that was a pretty big risk to take. Well, I did I have I had ECW lined up from the moment that I gave my notice. And I had the match with Sabu in August as part of the trade agreement, which factored into uh, dropping the title to Roma and Orndorff, because I was really in a bad way physically with a back injury. Um, And I think of everything that ever went down in WCW, the idea that it was thought that I was faking an injury, was just, that was really hurtful to me. Yeah, Really hurtful.
0: Uh, You're off TV. Or you were due to be but you had a texas tornado match that was taped in february and it airs on worldwide when you're off because yeah. they tape that show so far in advance um you can't i mean listen the texas tornado match is a sin what we're calling a texas tornado match these days would be like a death match yeah. but that's probably a taboo word on Disney. Oh, yeah, yeah. Can't say death.
1: It was as physical as it could be, given the circumstances we were in. The reason I was off TV, and this is a, a thank you to WCW, is that um, uh, Colette was having a difficult pregnancy with Noelle. Mm. And she had to spend a, most of the day resting. And so I asked Eric if I could have the time off. He said, Cactus, you just had time off for the Vader angle. And I said... I said, I said yesterday on a house show, I think I teamed up with Ice Train. I said, you guys don't have any plans for me. And he kind of granted me the time off. And then when I came back, we were able to do some pretty good business, and I was able to be there when uh, uh, Noel was born. And then just uh, three months after Noel was born, I lost my ear. Right. And then, again, that brings us back to the, they can't do something with this. Yes. Yeah.
0: So this... Uh- Worldwide taping we're talking about, you're going to do the original power bomb on the floor again. So yeah. we, we just watched the OG one a few weeks ago, but you're going to do the same finish again. What's the thinking
1: there? Thinking there is this time I'm going to get up. Okay. It's going to be a moral victory. Even if I lose the match, the fact that I thought it was going to you know, not nearly as compelling as it would have been with a, when I say a real crowd, I mean a crowd of people who paid money to be there as opposed to, theme park people who are trying to sit down and take a a break. Mm. Um, But it was a good match. Afterwards, I remember being really lightheaded and very energetic, which I later learned is a sign of a concussion. Mm. Um, And then you crash the next day. Chris Nowinski explained it to me as it's that fight or flight instinct kicking in. So it's not unusual. Now, there are head injuries. People are knocked unconscious. But it's not unusual if you've had a head injury to have a sudden rush of energy mm. uh, and then crash after that. But that's still- So you think you're okay. You think you're okay. You think you're actually like on Better. a high. Yeah. And it's actually your body's fight or flight instinct uh, kicking in that extra energy. So I remember uh, going out to dinner with Colette and the kids and a friend of mine from college after that and being like on a high because I thought we'd accomplished something pretty cool. Yeah. And then it wasn't treated- that way and it was just one and done and instantly forgotten
0: you wrote this in your book vader covered me for the easy pin but the match wasn't over yet the referee began his count as i lay prone one two three no movement four five i started to move six seven i was on my knees eight nine cactus jack was on his feet then with the ref's back turned hardly hit me from behind and i went down ten i lost the match loss, as is usually the case in our sport, didn't really matter, because in this case the real victory was a moral one. I'd taken the power bomb and had gotten up; nothing could be simpler. Um, it's a lot. It's a big risk, though, is it not? To take a power bomb on the floor? Or did you feel like you know the first one was? Given that before the first one, I wrote my last will and testament. Yeah, by man, it's just so different than the I first know.
1: One. But the uh, you know that story arc of the character i felt it was important enough to do it obviously you know if i had to do it over again i would not have uh but that was a good match i always had good chemistry with leon and like i said i think that was about as wild as you could that was about as far as you could push the envelope when you're wrestling at uh disney property
0: you wrote in your book that even though jim jim ross was working for the competition at this point I could hear his voice in my head. Mm -hmm. The referee is counting, folks, but it's just a formality. This one is over. What we really need is some medical attention down here. But wait, what's this? Cactus Jack is starting to move. My God, he's on his knees. Ladies and gentlemen, in 25 years, this is the damnedest thing I've ever seen. Cactus Jack is up. Cactus Jack is up. It didn't matter who was calling the match. However, this was too good to miss. Only a complete idiot could screw this thing up.
1: And, uh, you know, I... Bobby, he is long gone, and Bobby was one of the wittiest guys we've ever had. But, but Bobby was someone who went with the joke first, and I think that's safe to say, right? Um, that's what he was being paid to do—to be funny. And so I don't believe that match was called live. Certainly, there was a producer on hand. Yes, and you can't—it's hard to capture the emotion if you're doing it in post-production anyway. Um, but I think Jim would have done amazing things with that, and it didn't uh, didn't happen. That's why, like I I've made it a point to say, like when Jericho does commentary on AEW, he puts the match first, yes, and the guys first. Kevin Sullivan, who was a great character when he did commentary, guys first. Uh, Man, ma- ma- now it would include men and women, and uh, and Cornette, as funny as he could be, was about explaining that. But Bobby was really successful largely because he was funny. I mean, the impetus was to be funny, and I just wish that that match had been treated differently.
0: He wrote, they hadn't made one reference to the injury of exactly one year ago, yet now the story would surely unfold. Vader picked me up for the power bomb and sent me crashing down to the concrete splat. To tell you the truth, this one actually looked more devastating than the one in 93. I listened to the brilliant call. Sometimes the right words can really cement an image in the fans' minds. Here it comes. Bobby Heenan was the first to comment on this historic career turning moment. That'll give you excedrin headache number nine, said the brain, with about as much raw, naked emotion as Al Gore on sedatives. (laughs) Indeed it will, added Shivani. And then nothing, or nothing that I had visualized, suggested, hoped for, or at least worst-case scenario would have settled for. Um I said it would take a total idiot to screw it up and by golly, they hadn't let me down. This was the final nail. <laughs> thought about it for two days and made my decision to quit Ooh. WCW. Now you write in your book that before this happens, you actually had to sit down with Bischoff and tried to lay out what you thought was the story of the match, but it doesn't feel like that was ever communicated at all. Look, Eric wore a lot of hats. Sure. You know, I mean, Vince is a
1: micromanager um, for better or worse. Um, And I think that situation could have called for some micromanaging. Uh, Of all the things Eric had to worry about, the call of my match, probably fairly low down on that list, but it would have made a huge difference. And I had forgotten that 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 was the reason, you know, compound, and in addition to the ear, ear, but the two of them together, I just, when I watched that, I was like, (sighs) you know, it just... It was such an obvious, you and then, on the same page. And right? I voiced it, my opinion, and it would have been so easy to say, well, "Hey, look, let's." I look. It yeah, was hey. it was a, it was a ma- major major disappointment. So much so that I gave up a guaranteed six figure income when I had two small kids and a no mortgage to pay.
0: Did you ever talk to Hina or Sivani about it? I don't think so. I don't think so. Do you think um, Shivani knows you were disappointed? He like, will now, right? He doesn't yeah. <laughs> I'm going to bring it up. Um, so Maybe let's... his next
1: uh, series of graphic novels will be called Indeed It Will. Yeah, why not? I love that. Yeah, <laughs> And you know, I like Tony, right? Of
0: course. I yeah, do
1: I like Tony. And, and in retrospect, you know, the call from that night the channels changed really did me a huge favor. Absolutely. And life's too short also to Also a
0: Bischoff directive.
1: <laughs> yeah, it sure was. And so when I had a chance to cut a promo on Bischoff at one of Knobs' uh, Legends of Wrestling shows, they yeah. just said, yeah, just go out there, you and Eric, uh, give us a six, whatever the time limit was. And I said, let's just go have some fun. And I said, let me tell you something, Bischoff, ever since you've been, let me tell you something, brother, ever since that day you revealed the winner, blah, blah, I've been wanting to say one thing to you, and now I finally have the chance. Thank you. Yes. And it was it was a lot of fun. Is so right. it's it's cool. I think it's a good symbol, too, that you can see uh, people actively had heat for one reason or another, uh, not just getting through... And working with someone they don't enjoy working with, but to actually come to like that person all over again, enjoy working with them. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a lot to be said for the powers of forgiveness in professional wrestling.
0: Agree. You wrote this leaving a six figure job is not an easy decision to make, especially when the uncertainty of the independent wrestling scene. Bischoff was surprised when I told him the news, but he did not seem all that upset about it. Colette was a different story. What do you mean you're leaving? <laughs> We've got a four-month-old daughter, Mickey. Colette yelled, trying to reason with me. <laughs> we'll be all right, I assured her. I can work lots of places. But, honey, you can't make this kind of money anywhere else. Listen, honey if I stick around, I'll be worthless within a year yeah. I'm hired back. At least this way I can buy some time and maybe come back when things are different. Was that your thinking, that maybe the WWF was not going to be in your cards, but... Maybe you can, as they say in wrestling, certainly JR does, leave and go learn a new hold and come back.
1: WCW, that had been the right call when I left WCW 90. Came back to the same company 15 months later. uh, A ton of self-confidence. I gained along the way. And I thought that might be the case. I knew I had ECW lined up. I didn't have the interest in IWA Japan until Terry Funk signed. And that's when I contacted them. And I'm really proud to say I didn't make... Quite what I did in um, WCW, but I came close. And I worked really hard to do it. I really hard to do it. And I was out there with the gimmicks, selling the gimmicks. Um, But when I look back at, like, the independent matches I did with Sabu for relatively, I was a $500 a night man, you know. I think I got $750 on on some big shows, but basically $500 a night. Promoter might say I was 750, but anyway, you're talking about making $1,500 a week if you're lucky. But I did better than that. I came in, you know, a little over 100 because I was working hard and um, I wasn't making a fortune when I did go to IWA Japan, just three grand for a 10 day trip, 300 bucks a night. Uh, I do include a 24 hour travel day as a day of work. Um, But I was really glad I, I took, I took the chance I bet on myself and, uh, it paid off.
0: Hey, so last week, my buddy, Dave green up in St. Louis was uh, looking for some Cardinals tickets. Uh, he kind of forgot that he had made plans to take one of his daughters to the game. She didn't forget. So when she said, Hey dad, are we still going to the game tonight? Man, in that moment, the last thing you want to tell your daughter is I forgot. My buddy, Dave knew what to do. He knew about game time. You see with game time, you get flash deals and last minute deals on tickets, even up until the day of the event, you see buying tickets to see some of your favorite events shouldn't be stressful. It should be fun. Well, game time can hook you up, whether you're looking for sports or music or comedy or theater, whatever it is, they've got you hooked up, but there's two things I think that make game time stand out above the rest. I love the peace of mind. I get from the game time guarantee. It it means you'll always get the best price. Let me explain. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less money, game time will credit you 110% of the difference. It's even cheaper. Come on. How do you beat that? Not only that, they also eliminate the guessing game of looking at a seat map. Now we've all done this. We take a look and we see the map and we say, well, that looks like a good section, but is it really well with game time, you get to see what it looks like from your seat, seat views. How do you beat that? You know exactly what to expect. And they couldn't make it any easier. Just two taps and boom, you're all set. The tickets are sent right to your phone. Snag the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app. Create an account and use the code FOLI, and you'll get another $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account. Redeem the code FOLI. We're gonna hook you up for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. You also wrote about Arn Anderson questioning your move here and uh, how WCW was running less and less shows, and it took you recounting the line from Heenan in order for you to make your point to Arn. What do you remember about your conversation Man, with Arn nothing. about this? Because Arn's the family guy. I do
1: remember other conversations. I don't remember this one. Does it say what his reply was?
0: Yeah, but I, I think the the gist is, when you sort of lay it out there about Heenan, maybe he got it a little
1: now, Between more. that call, and it's not Bobby be's Bobby's doing his job. Bobby's doing his job. From his perspective. Right. Um,
0: But you wish that it could have been maybe less about trying to
1: Put in his head, and maybe Tony could have been the guy to. But once you said cetera and headache number nine, it's kind of hard to.
0: From my perspective, uh, Bobby's no doubt one of the greatest of all time. I put him on my Mount Rushmore of all-time performers. Just the dude could do it all. Yeah but it never felt like his heart was in WCW as much as it was the WWF. Like it felt like we got Bobby at his best in the WWF and we got Bobby Heenan in WCW.
1: Well, Bobby was successful enough that he replaced Jesse.
0: Yeah.
1: Jesse went on a vacation and Bobby, you know, he had that wit, I'm gonna, you know, kind of segue, and it's kind of a sad story in a sense, but it would tell you the respect I had for Bobby is that, you know, Bobby had a great deal of difficulty speaking for the last several years of his yes. life. And so when I saw he was on Twitter, I thought, what a great way for Bobby to communicate. To communicate. And, the, and it appeared to me to be the real Bobby Heenan. And I went to Bat and tried to get him a blue check mark. And within a couple days, uh, I was doing a signing somewhere, and someone said, "Listen, I just talked with Bobby's wife, and that's not his Twitter account." I was real. I was so devastated. So I was in pretty constant communication with his wife, and told her how terribly sorry I was. That would have been a great vehicle for Bobby. Yes. You know, because he could have used that sharp wit. Yes. Um, so I really liked and respected Bobby. I just thought mm-hmm. I'd drop the ball. And now I think anything more I say is belaboring the point.
0: Uh, at the time, the roster is in a bit of upheaval here in WCW. You got Austin and Pillman on the roster. They're about to be de-pushed in favor of people that Hulk Hogan's bringing along with him. And you're scheduled to team with Kevin Sullivan to take on the Nasty Boys here in Philadelphia for the tag titles, and you win. But you've given your notice. Uh, so this is an interesting time. I mean, you wrote in your book, it would have been better for you to work Philly, team with Sullivan, and then go home and get the surgery uh, collect the paycheck and stay home, but you just, you, you couldn't do it. And instead of taking um, time off TV, like most people do, who have given their notice, they actually push you. And and normally, that would not be the case, <laughs> yeah, you know? I mean, yeah. this goes the 180 of what everyone expects, and, and you were probably more shocked than anybody else, right?
1: I was, yeah, really pleasantly surprised. I was ready to do the time-honored thing and to lose a bunch of matches on my way out. Instead, they put me with, you know, with Sullivan. I turn on him, and we end up having a pretty good little uh, program on my way out.
0: But clearly... um... When
1: I won that match in Philly, my dad was in the audience. I can't remember if he went with my brother or whatever the case was. And I remember Bischoff specifically seeing me with the big smile and saying, that's the Cactus Jack I like to see. And one of the things that was really fun for me in that match was having Dave the Hammer Schultz who was a member of the infamous Broad Street Bullies uh, and the most feared enforcer of his era. Uh, But Dave Schultz lost enough fights to where he wasn't, like you could get the huge babyface pop by like uh, Clark Gillies from the Islanders getting the better of Dave Schultz, but that didn't mean he wouldn't be out there mixing it up the next day. And I see him and he's really reserved and he's kind of nervous. And I'm sitting there with Kevin and the Nasties and Nobbs. Nobbs has come back from that shoulder injury. He's still injured from when Max Payne threw him nearly, damn near killed him or paralyzed him. Arn Anderson, thankfully, you know, Nobbs had the makeup of a jellyfish because he had any musculature that suplex would have paralyzed him. And so Dave Schultz says, um, can you guys teach me how to throw one of those wrestling punches and I said, Dave, I said respectfully, I think you need to hit him as hard as you can. He says, I'm gonna hurt him. And I go, look, we're gonna be out there really winging it ourselves. i getting goosebumps thinking about it. And I look at Knobs with that goofy grin with the one missing tooth. And I go, you need to hit him as hard as you can. And, and, and Nobbs gives him the nod. And at that point, Dave Schultz loosened up completely. I didn't think he had a beer, and we came time to throw those punches he pulled knobs his shirt he just started throwing those uppercuts as hard as he could knocked knobs goofy but it protected his character there and I'm not saying there wasn't a way to get away with a great working punch but it took all the pressure off him similar to when seamus told me to hit him as hard as i could right and i was like wow well i can do that sure i can do that so it turned out to be a heck of a match i think the only misfire was that Sullivan had a dove underneath his Phillies hat. <laughs> I think you didn't actually see it fly away, but if you look closely, I believe there's some bird poop on Kevin's head. Oh my god. But it was a it was a fun match. Probably even better than Spring Stampede had been. Wild match, a fun match. I don't think
0: I knew about the dove. The dove <laughs> Go back and and watch Kevin come
1: out. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it was Poop. it was a lot. It was a lot of fun, and it was my only title in WCW, which sets us up for the, you know, spitting on the belt promo, yeah, which got me in some hot water.
0: Uh, well, along the way, there's going to be other things that are going to annoy you besides <laughs> just the year. And, I guess I was high maintenance, maintenance probably
1: from, w, to, from WCW's perspective.
0: Well, they're going to bring in a lot of folks along with Hogan, who, as you put it in your book, quote wrestlers who had never worked a main event match in their lives began cashing bigger checks than I ever had. Hmm. Yeah. And, no,
1: t- to be fair to those guys, they probably had worked some main events with the Hulkster in Six Mans and things like that. But, yeah, yeah, the checks started, you know, they were, there were guys making a lot of money doing very little. And I thought I, was ma- I had done quite a lot and was still down there at, you know, the uh, comparatively bargain basement fee.
0: You think you could have gotten a good match out of brutus the barber beef no. yeah
1: no there are there are limitations dirty harry said a man's got to know his limitations and i would have been unable to pull that particular rabbit
0: out of that <laughs> uh you wrote a story in your book about uh, working with the nasty boys and kevin sullivan and you're in melbourne florida and there's uh Tobacco,
1: juice. do you remember that story? <laughs> yeah, I do, I actually thought that was in Upper Marlboro, Pennsylvania, but if I wrote Melbourne, it probably was. Uh, this guy seemed, and this is, you know, we're kind of only a few months removed from MJF throwing the drink on the, oh, the, the kid, kit. which yeah. turned out to be tequila or something like yeah. that. I thought the guy was putting up an un- un- unreasonably large attempt to keep me from grabbing his beer and throwing it on knobs, and when that beer, or what I thought was a beer, was in mid-flight, I realized why. It was about 24 ounces of tobacco juice, and... Uh, the guy it, spit. The guy spit, and uh, the brown liquid hit the It was in his eyes. It was in his mouth. And it was a hideous sight, but the, those... We had a... Maybe Upper Marlboro was the god-awful match, where... Uh, uh, Harley race lectured me afterwards about having to make the match respectable, no matter how small the crowd was or how much fun we were having. So, um,
0: you wrote in your book at the time, it may have been the most disgusting thing I've ever seen in wrestling. Is it still the most disgusting thing? I got covered in tobacco. It's a lot
1: of territory to cover, right? Um, it's up there. It's up there. Maybe we can have a poll. Most disgusting thing.
0: So, yeah, we'll throw that out there. Yeah. What is, so go, go talk about it on Twitter with us at Foley is pod. What is the most disgusting thing you've seen in pro wrestling? Uh, at TV, you would write that you overheard Orndorff and Roma cutting a promo about how they beat you guys for the tag <laughs> titles. And not only had they not beaten you for the tag titles yet, you didn't even know that was the plan. I did not know it was the plan. Is that one of those uh, things you talked about last week in wrestling that just breaks your heart? It was heartbreaking because Kevin had
1: said, you know, Rick had said we're going to go all the way with you guys. And like I just mentioned a few minutes minutes earlier, there was no room for adapting. There was no room for adjusting if Kevin and I turned out to be, uh, you know, a super hot tag team. It was already in the car. It was already designed to fail. Um, not that I minded dropping the titles at all, um, especially you know as much respect as I had for uh, uh, Paul Orndorff, and I occasionally joke around about Paul Roma, but I held no ill will towards Roma, and I actually thought they were a pretty good team. But they weren't giving us a chance right, right. out of the box. It was already our fate was predetermined.
0: You, uh, you wrote in your book that you're going to have a meeting with Flair, and even though Rick and Kevin were longtime friends, you were the guy who did all the talking. Yeah, I did. And um, he calls you out in this meeting, Rick does, for wanting time off for psychological counseling, and he compared you to Barry Windham, who had been nursing a, uh, a year-long knee injury. And you wrote, this was a perfect example of office gossip leading to factual errors and the very rare occasion that the old cliche when you assume it makes an ass out of you and me was actually correct. Rick, I said, I think you've got a few things mixed up. I did want six months off, but that was for ear surgery. I canceled that because you asked me to come back. I'm seeing a psychologist for post-amputation depression, but even if WCW does pay for it, we're talking about $400, not 400000 like Barry, and to insinuate that I'd milk an injury is an insult. Yeah. And Flair took all this in and said, so you want to wrestle? Yes, I do, Rick. Until my contract is up, you can book me on every show you run. Yeah, This was uh maybe the I don't know. It just feels like the frustration is just building day by day here, is it not? <laughs> it was.
1: And when people say post-amputation <laughs> depression, it's a very real thing because now your body is no longer what it once was. Yes. You've lost part of it. I remember having that talk. Um Oh God, she'll kill me for not remembering. The, uh, Leslie, uh, Leslie Smith in UFC, nearly lost her ear, and uh, I, I sent a message saying Leslie at Leslie Smith. It gets better. It was kind of as a joke, and then MMA and and wrestling covered it like it was a real touching. Thing. So we actually did bond over it. Right. We did uh, become friends. She's been to uh, several of my events. Uh, you know, a few, we were calling ourselves the Fear of the Year Connection. And I told her she could expect to feel down. And um, she said uh, something about losing the match. And I was like, no, no, I'm not talking about losing the match. <laughs> like, like, listen, the only thing people are going to remember is that you almost lost your ear and you wanted to keep going. And my son, Mickey, who was only maybe 10 at the time, he was like, Dad, are you talking about the woman who almost lost her ear? He didn't even know I was talking to her. Right. And I said, yeah, I am. And, and he was that was the most unbelievable thing I've ever seen. And I said, you see, that's the only thing they're going to remember. And I think I pointed out there's this timeless photo of Giants quarterback, Y.A. Tittle, And he's like on one knee in black and white and there's this single little rivulet of blood coming down from his eyebrow. And it's so, you don't know who won the game. Right. It's just an iconic photo. And I told her that's what people are going to remember. But I did tell her that your body was going to respond in ways that you might not have been prepared for. So yeah, I did go through a little struggle there after I lost my ear. And I'll dare say it was compounded by WCW doing nothing with it.
0: No doubt. Um, Let's talk a little bit about the. the Can we call
1: this the Foley Wines About the Past episode? Sure,
0: (laughs) why not? Uh, Slamboree back then was a legend show So you got Terry Funk here Wrestling Tully Blanchard Who'd been out of the game for a bit Uh, There's the WCW Hall of Fame With the Assassin, Ole Anderson Harley Race, Ernie Ladd The Crusher and Dick the Bruiser They're all invited here I'm sure you were happy to see your old pal Terry on the card. Do you remember spending any time with any of those legends?
1: Well, mostly Terry. What I do remember is that (laughs) even though every bit of blood had been edited out of the match I had with Vader with the broken nose and the stitches above and below the eye, by God, those legends were bleeding in all the promotional material. And I was like, what the bleep? Like. You can get away with like yes. one week old blood, no. 20 year old blood, definitely. Just fine. It, it was just, ah, man, it just, it just, you couldn't buy a break there.
0: Well, you, you'd certainly had a great showing. Uh, Meltzer would even say that you replacing Evad, of course, Dave, uh, looked to make a difference between a horrible match and a memorable match. Uh, and you wrote that you thought it was better than your match in Chicago. What was the difference in having. Kevin Sullivan, there with you versus Max Payne.
1: I think uh, Dave Schultz added something to it. It was the Philly crowd, which li- really liked me, like uh, they like like the wild stuff. Philadelphia may have been the first real heel town, uh, but they would. It wasn't like they would boo you when you turned babyface. Right. If they liked you, they liked you, and they made up their mind long before they were programmed to who they would and would not like. And that was quickly followed by New York and New Jersey and uh, Baltimore, a lot of the Northeast towns. Chicago would be another one. But you'd go into the deep south or most of the Midwest, and they were still very traditional as far as who they booed and cheered.
0: It's a really fun match. You should go out of your way to see it. Uh, Meltzer would say um, it's a must-see match. He gave it four and a half stars. You guys went nine minutes and 36 seconds Called it an incredible brawl, uh, and he says, Amazingly, no serious injuries resulted from this match. I mean, did you know, I mean, clearly it's a big moment. Your dad's there. You're winning the title. You're smiling. But you're really on that post-match high you've talked yeah, about uh-huh. before, right? Yeah. Um, does the does how great the match is make you just reconsider your stance on leaving just for a second? No. it. I don't think so. You knew you loved it. You just knew this place isn't for me. Yeah. I
1: got you. I, I, I can't guarantee that's what I was thinking. Um, but I, I felt really good about it, and I definitely had the... This was not a uh, a post-match high uh, where a head injury was factored in. It was just that rush of excitement when you know you've done something really well.
0: We... Uh, I'm going to put it
1: out there. I'd love to see the nasties in the WWE Hall of Fame.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Well said, great call. Uh, there's a little blunder, typical WCW, uh, here, I guess, uh, June 19th. Meltzer would say is one of the more embarrassing days in recent history of pro wrestling because they opened their control center that was supposed to air on June 26th, a week early, which is normally not a big deal, but here they're revealing that Ric Flair had beaten Sting quote unquote (laughs) this past Thursday to become the unified world champion. And that Hogan wants a title shot. They're trying to, uh, you know, be efficient here. But do you remember there being other stressful moments like that where it's like, man, we got to stop taping this stuff so far in advance? I
1: I mean, I think there was just a general feeling that it was hard to get caught up in the moment uh, when something was so far away. And I've I've talked in the past about, being an advocate for giving yourself the best chance to make a special moment. And when you're doing that, it becomes increasingly more difficult to even have a chance to do something memorable.
0: So by now you know that Mick and I have spent a lot of time talking about some of these death matches and some of these bloody wars that he had, but you probably also know that that blood was intentional. You see, he wants to get cut accidentally. But unfortunately, a lot of us do it. If you're using a cheap razor, you're getting those nicks, those cuts, that irritation. And I gotta tell you, I got pretty annoyed with that whole subscription razor concept a few years ago. I found they just kept stacking up. What I enjoy most about Henson shaving is that it doesn't feel like a gimmick. It feels old school. Seriously, just the actual blade handle itself. Dude, it's metal. It's not some cheap piece of plastic that's gonna break on you or frustrate you. This is like, I mean, I'm not saying it's going to last a lifetime, but it feels substantial. It feels like something our grandparents would have used. And at the same time, man, you get a whole pack of these straight razors. Dude, this is old school, but here's, what's cool about it. And here's why I believe that you got to meet Henson shaving. They're a family owned aerospace parts manufacturer that's made parts for the international space station and the Mars Rover. And now they're bringing that same technology and engineering to your shaving experience. You see, I've learned that razor blades are like diving boards. The longer the board, the more the wobble. The more the wobble, well, the more nicks, the more cuts, the more scrapes. You see, a bad shave isn't a blade problem, it's an extension problem. So by using aerospace grade CNC machines, Henson makes razors that extend just 0.0013 inches, which is less than the thickness of a human hair. That means a secure and stable blade with a vibration free shave. It's also got a clog free design. You see this razor has built in channels to evacuate the hair and cream, which makes clogging virtually impossible. Seriously. Henson shaving wants the best razor, not the best razor business. Let me explain. There's no plastic. There's no subscriptions, there's no proprietary blades, there's no planned obsolescence. The Henson razor works with standard old school dual age blades, but it gives you that that new age, that new school tech. I mean, dude, these folks have made stuff for space. you darn right they can make stuff for your face. And once you own a Henson razor, it's only like three to five bucks a year to replace the blades. I'm a big believer in this. I was overwhelmed with the value. Seriously, you're going to get more blades than you can imagine. In my first shave, I have to admit, I was a little intimidated. I haven't worked with a straight razor like this before, but dude, it was easy and I felt like a badass when it was done. I'm going to tell you, the design is incredible. The durability is awesome. It's super affordable. My buddy, Casio Kid, came over to watch the Royal Rumble and I had told him about the razor before and I said, hey man, I got to show this to you. And I showed him the blade. I showed him the razor. It's, it's something you got to see. I recommend it. It's the most manly thing you can do today. It's time to say no to subscriptions and say yes to a razor that will last you a lifetime. Visit hensonshaving.com forward slash Foley to pick the razor for you and use code Foley and you'll get two years worth of blades free with your razor. Just make sure you add them to your cart. That's 100 free blades. When you head to H E N S O N S H A V I N G dot com slash Foley and use the promo code Foley. Hensonshaving.com forward slash Foley. That same segment would, would say that Steve Austin defended his title successfully at that clash, and you and Kevin Sullivan also defended yours successfully. <laughs> this airs in advance of the Clash <laughs> of the Champions match. And what do you know? It was uh, it's like they could see the future. Because you did beat them at this clash. 10 minutes and 35 seconds. There's two referees, which wasn't previously announced. Lots of brawling. Not nearly the same match uh, against a star and three quarters. A star and three quarters? Yeah, man. I think it, I did the double clothesline with
1: those guys over the top rope, which is no small feat. So three big bodies going But anyway, I thought, okay.
0: Uh, he, he would write here. It was all brawling, but much sloppier than the previous match, and obviously it toned way down since this was on broadcast TV rather than pay-per-view. And there was a great deal of concern within WCW and the WWF about airing things that people would categorize as violent on TV because of the current governmental sentiment and outside network pressure. The actual brawling was way off, particularly involving Sullivan. Jack took a few great bumps, the most significant being a diving elbow off the apron when the nasty boys moved, which enabled him to crack his head on the rail Uh, Man, what a bump that was, too. Uh, Sags then posted his shoulder and back suplexed him on the floor. Back in the ring, they're going to do a double knockout from simultaneous clotheslines. Kevin tags in. Knobs attacks Dave Sullivan wearing a T-shirt that reads Hulk Rules with Rules Backwards. Uh, And then Sags attacks Dave as well. And then Dave hits Sags with the crutch. And Jack uses the double arm on Knobs for the pin. Star and three quarters. I mean, you were kind of surprised at his rating, but... Did you feel like you have told us before? You know when you hit a home yeah. run, you just got that great feeling after. Did you Did you have any sort of feeling like you felt it at the pay per view at Slam But you were shocked at this rating, so you felt pretty good about this. It one. Felt
1: like it was a, it wasn't a home run, but it was a solid single up the middle. Yeah, there you go. I would I would have been more ha- happier with a two and a half. Star rating.
0: <laughs> the next day you Did wrestle. You say
1: star and three-quarter or star and a half?
0: Star and three-quarters. There you go.
1: That extra quarter
0: star is It, it matters. Yeah. Uh, the next day you wrestle Sabu and ECW, which you can check out in the archives. Uh, and, and on WCW Pro, you had a match where you and Kevin would defend the tag titles against Harlem Heat. I guess this is one of the few matches where you'd wrestle with Booker T. Like yeah. Before it happened years later yeah, in, uh, yeah. in t and uh, WCW Tag Team Champions Cactus Shack and Kevin Sullivan get the win here in five minutes and 12 seconds over Harlem Heat. Um, and then, you know, we're sort of teasing a bit of uh, uh, a triangle with right. you and Dave. And right, Kevin. and Kevin, yeah. Did you know what the creative was going to be? Like you're just here as a placeholder and then they're going to try to Well, I, I,
1: I think Kevin was happy to have me in the mix right. and to do the turn. Uh, you know, I, I guess, you know, the way of sending me off was as a heel uh, with Kevin Sullivan vanquishing the heel, but uh, fans definitely reacted differently. Now, the Sab- the Sabu match was the one that ushered in the, the uh, spitting on the belt, which was actually done to help push this um, new relationship with uh, WCW and ECW. So I thought, to put it over as strongly as I could, that I would do a promo that talks about how my pride was more important even than a title. And I prefaced it by saying how much I valued the title, I might even say I loved it, and then I said I lost something even more valuable to me, you know, my pride, um, my self-respect and my title as... uh, (laughs) It was the famous death doctor, Kavorkian. Kevorkian, Jack Kavorkian's favorite wrestler, um, because of the suicidal nature yes, of yes. The, the style. And that's where I hurt my back. I'll say really badly if it was bad enough to prevent me from wrestling the next night. I mean, I could barely move, and my I broke out in hives uh, for some reason over about two thirds of my uh, my body. I was re- I was really hurting really earning luckily somebody uh asked me if i needed something for the pain and that was only the second time i'd uh had a i had a prescription, my first prescription when i bruised my shoulder real badly at spring stampede and then one of the boys gave me something and i could understand the allure of pain medication because i understood it could make you feel euphoric right but i also understood that a feeling like that is not natural and that, you know, your body sends you these messages because it wants you to know that it's hurting.
0: We uh, we got to talk about the Sabu match here for a minute just briefly because when you come back into the WCW locker room, I'm curious, does that even come up? I only bring it up because Sabu was like an underground legend in 94. Yeah. You know, back when tape trading was just getting some momentum, he was sort of the hot guy. And certainly the hot guy on the independence and you would see in the Observer and the Torch and other newsletters like that. Lots of buzz about this guy, and now you had an opportunity to work with him. Is that on anybody in WCW's radar? Does it even come up that, hey, there's this kid out here that's got this buzz and a guy in our locker room Oh yeah, I mean,
1: Kevin had been there, and he'd been there when the Sabu phenomenon was unleashed right? in uh, ECW. And I remember Meltzer writing that like people were running away from him. You know, he showed up on a gurney, and he didn't speak. He did these things that defied belief and logic. And, uh, you know, he had Paul Heyman carefully orchestrating the presentation. So, yeah, they wanted me to go over there. They wanted me to put him over. They wanted me to do what I could to strengthen that. And uh, I know the match disappointed a lot of people. Paul Heyman later said to me, Mick, you understand, there were people who thought they were going to see somebody die. Right. So the bar was set pretty high, and I don't think we reached it that night. I do think we reached it, like, in Pahrump, Nevada, Um and there's also that spectacle of the bottle that wouldn't break in Hamburg, oh. PA. So we had some great matches. And Sabu's another guy I'd like to see get his accolades.
0: Absolutely.
1: Uh, you Real know, innovator. It's a, just a shame that when the only crime, the only thing Sabu ever did was get older. Right. Right? And now a lot of the people who were on the bandwagon, you know, see him, uh, you know, uh, he hasn't gone on to be part of people's childhoods the way that we had the opportunity to. Yes. So the wave of popularity goes from here. Then it, there's a big, you know, there's a big downturn. And then one day, one Halloween, you realize that people are dressing up like you for Halloween. You're no longer irrelevant. You're now part of people's childhoods.
0: Was that, do you think that's just because he wasn't on national TV long enough? He was just, well, he did, Also, change? he didn't have a chance to endear himself to people. There you go.
1: To people. So it would have been I understand why he didn't speak uh, because he was the nephew of the Sheikh and the Sheikh I don't think spoke if he did it was rarely it was never more than a few words he was sticking to that character but he never found that other gear to shift into, which is you usually involves comedy as wrestlers age they find a way another way to connect yeah so that rick was connecting with audiences more efficiently 10 years past his physical prime i mean that's not a knock just saying like he was more in command of the audience in the matches 10 years after his physical prime and you know dx clearly humor was on display uh you know as Shawn michaels and triple h got older and he didn't have that other gear and so now, unfortunately, as time goes by, you're seeing the same guy do things a little bit slower. And uh, fans can be, oh, man, they can be pretty merciless. Yeah. Uh, they can be very forgiving and they can be great, but they can be pretty merciless when somebody's stumbling.
0: Sure. A small percentage, small but vocal percentage can be pretty. On the lead-up to the uh, Bash at the Beach pay-per-view, there's a taped main event that's going to air, and it's you and Kevin defending the tag titles against the future Godwins. Uh, But then before you could actually wrestle at the bash at the beach, you go visit the doctor. And from your book, you wrote, a nurse showed me my MRI results, which revealed two bulging discs and one herniated discs. Uh, He started by saying, well, Michael, it looks like you've got two bulging discs and I waited for him to continue, but he didn't. Finally, he didn't know that I knew what a herniated disc looked like. Right. Yeah. Who does he think he's dealing with? My reply was simple. I read the report. He's clearly caught off guard and began backpedaling. His brain, well, it is, but it isn't. Came his somewhat less than scientific reply. I took my MRIs and sought a second opinion. Doctor Armstrong was the guy wrestlers went to when they didn't trust the other one. Armstrong took one look at my MRIs and strongly advised me to not wrestle until I saw a back specialist. He was talking about par- uh, the possibility of paralysis. Yes, until
1: I s- And plus, like I said, the pain the, my body's sending me the signals. So it's pressing on that nerve. The pain is on, you know, it's just incredible. It makes life miserable. And plus now you're on top of that, you're expected to go out there and do Cactus Jack stuff. It was really, uh, it was the toughest time. I think that was the toughest time not being believed was just such a personal insult. Yes. You know, and then I'm going to jump ahead a little bit to what uh, Harley Race said to me. Uh, before Kevin and I dropped the titles. We did go on, we did wrestle. I was not involved emotionally in the least little bit, so Let I can't. Let us add
0: context yeah. to your injury, because you wrote this in the book, okay. and, and, I, and I think this is important to set context. He said the MRI detected a portion of the disc that had fragmented and was floating freely in my spinal column. If this fragment lodged in the wrong area, it could be serious trouble. Unfortunately, I had to leave for Florida the next day and didn't have time to see a specialist. Dr. Armstrong wished me luck and sent me off with a note that read, Do not wrestle. To do so would risk serious and permanent injury, including but not limited to loss of control of bowel and bladder function, loss of sensation and extremities, and paralysis. Do not wrestle until seen by a specialist. And you wrote in your book that you called WCW, told on the news, And told them that you would come to Florida anyway. And when you got to the residence inn, Kevin calls you in the room and asked, what's going on here? And you said, they don't believe me, do they? Of course they don't, Kevin shot back. Rick thinks you did this because he yelled at you about spitting on the belt. I was getting hot. Where is he? I went to a boardroom where Flair was sitting with several other members of the booking committee. Cactus Flair began... Kevin tells me you aren't able to wrestle tomorrow. Is that true? Yes, Rick, it is. Are you sure? Yes, I am, Rick. Now he'd hit a nerve. I pulled out Dr. Armstrong's note and with more than a little anger in my voice addressed the nature boy. I've got a legitimate medical note from a respected orthopedic surgeon that tells me I would risking loss of bowel and bladder control and paralysis if I wrestle. I'm actually scared, Rick, and none of you seem to give a damn. And for once in my life, I'm going to put myself and my family before this business. I am not going to wrestle. They would go on to question you and talk about the second opinion you got from a non-WCW doctor. But the pressure you had is just unbelievable here to be face-to-face with all of this. Take me back to that moment. What do you remember stomping in there and seeing Rick and having this conversation?
1: Well, look, the last thing I want to do is reignite <laughs> you know, the it was
0: 30 years ago
1: yeah but i mean the book came out 24 yeah. years ago and caused some uh, bad feelings um but man that just it really really hurt to be questioned in that way
0: i mean they're asking you to go to the hospital and get another opinion just to make sure like this if there's a possibility of
1: being paralyzed Like, are they losing that much by not having that match on that card? They already got Hogan, right, making his... You've already given notice. Yeah.
0: Like, it would have been really easy. I mean, a lot of guys in this circumstance would have said, here's your belt, I'm out.
1: Yeah, I should have.
0: And just walked out. Like, I've already told you I'm quitting. I didn't want to be this champion. You put the belts on me. I've done all this crazy stuff. It made it worse. Um I sacrificed my ear for you. I sacrificed my motivation. You've sapped my motivation to wrestle on some level. It has to. This is not fun for you anymore. Right. This is not what you were sleeping in your car for Danucci for. Absolutely not. This is not what you imagined.
1: Yeah, it was. And this is where Harley comes up to me, sees me stretching out before the match with uh, Roma and Orndorff. He said, I hope you remember this for a long time. Or words of that effect. You can. It's probably quoted in there. He said, "After everything you've done for them, this is the way they repay you." Tell me how accurate I got that.
0: I just want to mention before we talk about the the Harley quote. You're out here not just wrestling a match. The match goes twenty minutes (laughs) and eleven seconds. Yeah,
1: I think they got the heat on me, right? They probably did.
0: And. You know, Meltzer would say, the match wasn't good. Right. And unless you knew what was going on coming in, you'd have come out of it terribly disappointed. The match was dull. The crowd was doing the wave and paying no attention to the match. It went on forever. The finish saw Jack do the double-arm DDT on Orndorff, but Roma tripped him from the outside with Jack's legs way out of the ring, and the ref right there seeing Roma hold him, but still counted, as Orndorff did the pin, half a star. <laughs> and you wrote you wrestled that night, but scared as hell, and it God. was the worst pay-per-view match you'd ever been in, and everybody knew it. Now, I've been in some stinkers before, but I always had this feeling inside of me, no matter how bad things suck, I, I can could always pull them together.
1: And I, at that point, I'd made the decision, I'm not gonna pull it together. I'm gonna accept my fate, accept this match as a stinker, Essentially, that's what I wrote, right? Yes. Yeah.
0: Um, you don't. You. You have a conversation with Harley, and you talk about the fact that you send him a Christmas card. Um, I don't have the quote here from Harley, but basically I basically
1: saying, "I wish the office would have done half as much for my career as you did." That was basically it. You know, loved Harley, rough but lovable Harley Race. And especially when he said,
0: I I hope you remember this for a long time. And I did, I did. And we're not done yet. I can't believe this is real (laughs) right away. You're back working at center stage. Once again, losing to Orndorff and Roma before getting back on the road to Jacksonville, where you and Kevin beat bunkhouse buck and Colonel Parker, who's substituting for Terry Funk. But why not just walk away? I know. Do you think? Do you think you were addicted to wrestling, or were you? I was. I was trying to do the right thing, on the way out. Yes. Um, were you nervous that if you didn't, that it could?
1: You didn't want to burn a bridge. You want to be able to. That, that was probably a very real consideration. Yeah. Uh, reading back on it, I wish I'd said no. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, but I went out. I did the right thing. Kevin and I did some business on the way out. I have to say that I think my back. I think whatever enormous pressure was on my back and that nerve must have gotten better because before I wrestled Kevin, I did probably, I think it was a a three-and-a-half star with Rambo for uh, Catch Wrestling Association in Austria, and we had a pretty good match. And then it was a trip from hell trying to get back in time for the pay-per-view in Roanoke. So I would next have big trouble with the lower back in late 96, early 97. And that was a big reason I think why the, uh, uh, quality of my matches suffered a little bit for about a six month period in WWE. All
0: right. By now, you know, that, uh, Mick and I both like to save money. He's frugal McDougal, and I've been known to save a dollar or two, but let me give you a little pro tip on saving money because that's the old thing we're looking for, right? It's like, we've always heard it's not how much you make, but how you save. Well, maybe you're like me and you've fallen for a good deal here and there. Or so we thought try it free for 30 days. Well, that's enough time to try it and then completely forget about it. I have to admit, I did this before rocket money, rocket money showed me all the subscriptions that I'd signed up for. And dude, I wasn't using a bunch of them. I had no idea that both my wife and I signed up for Hulu, but we watch TV together. We don't need two accounts. We needed one account. I even had a subscription that was very expensive to DAZN. I bought it over a year prior just to watch one fight and forgot about it. They just kept drafting and I missed it. So let me ask you this. Do you know how much your subscriptions really cost? I thought I was spending like 80 bucks a month. Man, when it was all said and done, I was spending hundreds per month. It's time you find out exactly what you're spending with rocket money. You see rocket money is a personal finance app that helps you find and cancel all of your unwanted subscriptions. It's even going to help you monitor your spending and help you lower your bills all in one place. Over 80% of people have a subscription they forgot about. Maybe you signed up for the stars app to watch one show, or maybe you got like a free gaming trial, but you never actually used it. That's where rocket money comes in. They will quickly and easily find the subscriptions for you any you don't want, man, you just hit cancel rocket money does the rest for you. It's that easy. Rocket money can also help you manage your finances in one place. You can automatically categorize your expenses so it's easy to track your budget in real time and you'll get alerted. If anything looks off over 3 million people have used rocket money so far, saving the average person up to $720. Stop throwing your money away. Cancel unwanted subscriptions and manage your expenses the easy way by going to rocketmoney.com slash foley. That's rocketmoney.com slash foley. Rocketmoney.com slash Foley. You wrote in your book, I still had one more controversy to handle though. Your phone <laughs> rings. It's Janie Engel and she says that Flair has a big angle to turn me heel on Kevin and they need me at TV. I thought you guys were done with me, I said to Janie. I know, she replied, but baseball went on strike and Turner's giving us more hours to fill and Rick really needs you. Damn, I thought as I hung up the phone. I don't want to be a heel. It was nearly August and I'd given my notice three months earlier. My phone had been ringing steadily with independent offers. I'd already taken several opening dates with ECW and some other groups as well and was booked on a two-week tour of Austria. My weight was down to 280, my back pain was reduced. Yeah. And I was really in a groove for merchandising purposes. A must on the independent scene. It was vital that I be considered a good guy, because you would make almost as much at the
1: at the, at the merch table, table yeah. as you would. you know, I think I said five hundred or seven fifty. I think I was seven fifty, except for ECW because they used me so much. In that case, I think I made five hundred, except when we were at the ECW arena, which was seven fifty.
0: The program's laid out, except for the fact that you're turning heel, you turn to Rip Rogers and ask him for his professional opinion. And Rip's stature in the business has increased in recent years due to his training, but you wrote at the time he was the quote-unquote cheapest man in wrestling. And here's what you wrote. I really wish I could leave this place as a baby, I said, before adding this angle's going to change all that. And Rip quickly shoots back assuredly, no, it won't. You don't think leaving Kevin lying will turn me heel, I asked. Cack Rip said, laughing. Kevin Sullivan is the least <laughs> sympathetic character in the business. The fans will love you for it. <laughs> well, what about Dave? He's sympathetic. I countered. Yeah, he is. But Cack, even the fans can tell he's just a mediocre worker.
1: What he actually said was, even the fans can tell he's just stealing money from the company. Sure. <laughs> Dave Sullivan never showed up with a ski mask, it's and a pistol, but he was taking money. He was getting money that Rip You're didn't stealing money, Bundy,
0: <laughs> the Aldernie lad. Uh yeah, so the angle happens, and you are a baby face. You dropped Kevin and Dave, and you're cheered massively. You were wrong. That, if Mr. Morgan was right. Uh, it, it's, Not Rip Morgan, Rip Rogers. Right, right, right. You got Sorry. your rips wrong. Um, my goodness, you you, you did get to work with uh, Mean Gene for the angle. That had to be a big deal for you. I mean, oh yeah, this is the guy that you sort of grew up watching on TV, and now he's a part sure, of this. yep. Uh, let's talk about the match. Uh, Kevin Sullivan faced Cactus Jack in a short TV main event. This is according to the Torch. Uh, he really liked it, and um, he would he would write the program ended with a Cactus Jack interview. He started it by speaking German, repeating what he had said. I after guess as he finished my ear and the plastic Tasha's who was bringing. My goodness! Means
1: please don't forget to bring my ear in the plastic bag.
0: Ah. <sighs> Jack took a shot at Shivani by saying, despite what you and your broadcast buddies may have been feeding these people, I don't get off on seeing my ear thrown out in a garbage can in a foreign country. And Wade would say cactus Jack's interview to close. The program was delivered beautifully. His bitterness over WCW's treatment of his ear severance came through in the interview. And unbelievably, you're still not done fall brawl. 94. You finished up with the company, but you're coming back from Austria that same day. Um, you would write that pay-per-view usually requires that you be at the building six hours before <laughs> bell time. But you got there 15 minutes before <laughs> yeah. the first match. Because
1: it was run. the trip. It wasn't just the trip from hell that everything went wrong. It was a trip from hell and that it took forever. I don't know why, but do, do I say how long it took? Because I'm thinking in my head 42 hours from door to door.
0: I mean, you, you go from... Austria to Vienna to Frankfurt to well, Vienna is in Austria,
1: but I was in Graz, I think. So I go from Graz to Vienna to, from there, where do I go?
0: Uh, Frankfurt to Atlanta to Roanoke. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, a lot. Uh, uh, Kevin Sullivan is relieved when he sees you, <laughs> brother. We were panicking. My final WCW match was billed as a loser leaves WCW match because I already had three months of independent dates booked. The outcome. I was in about as much doubt as the night I showed up at the Sportatorium in Dallas with everything I own stuffed into my 80 Plymouth Arrow. <laughs> Give me a slam or off. a Loser Leave <laughs>
1: Tam match. Yeah, the only spot I called because Kevin didn't like to call matches anyway, this is where I said, Give
0: me a slam off the second turnbuckle to the floor. Right. And
1: Kevin says, Brother, do you want me standing on the floor or the apron when I do that? And my music's playing. I said, Kevin, if you're standing on the floor, you'll never reach me. And off I go to Mr. Bang Bang.
0: Think about how silly that is. How can he slam you? Off? I mean, it's amazing. But that was the only spot. And this is where I think Dave gave it two
1: and a half stars. I thought this was a three star match. He gave it two and a quarter. Two and a quarter. I yeah, think they there gave was... you a
0: lot of time. They gave you six minutes and eight seconds. Ah, okay. Um, although Cactus turned heel on television, he got a tremendous face reaction live. Rip was right. Uh, And played to the crowd on his last night in. Sullivan got the heel reaction. Jack took several great bumps, the most memorable of which was him being on the middle rope, ready to do an elbow to the floor. Dave Sullivan stopped him, and Kevin Sullivan got up and body slammed him off the middle rope to the concrete floor. You knew this was going to get everybody's praise. I mean, what a crazy bump.
1: And I ended up taking it a handful of other times. Um, But, yeah, I think that was the first time anyone had seen that. That's That's a really tough jarring bump to take wouldn't recommend that to a single soul living or otherwise but that was especially after 23
0: hours of travel 23
1: not 42 okay sorry it's crazy yeah it was crazy
0: most people Uh, bitch about jet lag if they go coast to coast and i was like i said i got
1: down to 280 Uh, my peak there was 318 so i'd lost almost 40 pounds and i was going pretty hard i think 2 at stings gym and wherever I happened to be, and my cardio was good in those days. And I think I had my, that was my best weight to be at, I think. Two, 280 was a good weight for me. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, it was crazy. Was, that was a wild, a wild day just to be traveling that length to not know if I was going to make it, to make it 15 uh, minutes ahead of time. And then I, I, I was critical of, WCW just cutting to whatever pre-tape they had because it was a pretty emotional moment when I hopped the guardrail and I went out in WCW in the crowd, going through the crowd. Yes. And they had a chance to do us, you know, something kind of special and significant and uh, they didn't do it.
0: You wrote in your book, um, I was in the shower cleansing not only my body, but three years of memories when Bischoff approached me. He thanked me for my effort Tell me if I behaved myself, I'd be welcome to come back at a later time. And then? He hugged me. And while the hot water produced its steamy fog around us, we held each other for a long, long time. (laughs) Come on, you don't really buy that, do you? (laughs) No, there was no shower, no steam, no hug, no holding on for a long, long time. Actually, he caught up to me as I was walking out the door. He did thank me and tell me I could come back and then shook my hand. Yeah. And then I walked out into the cool autumn breeze of free man. I did.
1: And, uh, yeah, I I did business on my way out. I'm really proud of that. If I had to do it over again, I would have said no and given the belt, but I'm proud of the fact that I did business.
0: We got uh, a question here from Dynamite Scott. If Mick could travel back in time to his WCW days and have one last feud, who would he face? Is there somebody from back then that you think, man, could have did something with him besides Hogan?
1: You know, as a babyface, I had real good chemistry with Rude at the few house shows we did. And Rude was such a great heel that I think, and the extremes and the characters, I think that could have been something really special. Because Rude was one, he was a workman, you know. Paul Heyman described it as he always, every night he rolls his sleeves up, goes to work. So I'd say if I could have done, could have done something uh, with with Rick Rude, uh, a major angle as opposed to a few house shows, that, that could have been something special.
0: Next week, Mick, we're going to continue your journey through 1994 as Cactus Gets Extreme. You're going to join ECW on a full-time basis, start working with Paul Heyman, wrestling Terry Funk at Hardcore Heaven and all those chairs being thrown in the ring, teaming with Mikey Whipwreck, doing the job to a beer bottle, Uh, Public Enemy winning the tag titles, Kevin Sullivan returning to the ECW arena, and then the innovator of violence, Tommy Dreamer. We'll talk about all of that next week here on the program. But today, you actually have a signing at Time Capsule Toys in Niles, Ohio, and then Oak, uh, West Virginia tomorrow, Ashland, Kentucky on the 14th, and you're hitting the uh, Detroit Comic Con, May 19th to the 21st. Check out realmcfoley.com for all the additional info Man, you're done filming, but you're still on the road all the time,
1: Conrad. I have to ride this wave. <laughs> we don't know when it's going to uh, subside. Right. And uh, I'm just so grateful people are out there and uh, you know they appreciative and their enthusiasm and numbers. And my plan is to go hard until I hit 60, and then Take ride right. off into the sunset. There you go. I don't. My wife said, "Do you think you're physically capable of doing that?" And
0: no. I don't know.
1: I have to find a few really good charitable organizations to get involved with regularly because I need to do something, yes. and I've never figured out. Writing was one of those things. I mean, portraying Santa has been one of those things, but I don't know how to be in the same place for more than a couple of weeks without going a little stir-crazy.
0: Well, if you're uh, if you're looking to uh, get a little more of Mick Foley, can I recommend Cameo? Yes, you can. Uh, Mick, last week we got a little tease oh, from yeah. the Mother's Day song, but now Mother's Day's Well, you know what? Let me give him a little tease. We're gonna give it a little
1: different feel. Same tease of a song.
0: It's this Sunday. This mean, can Sunday. you take so a last minute Mother's Day? We
1: can. So I'll do it a cappella as okay. man as man in a mankind mask because of the copyright issue. Sure. Mike Dawkins way, couldn't work his magic on mankind. They've got that one.
0: You got cactus Jack, though. Cactus right. Jack and Dude. Uh, by the way, uh, you if you're listening to this, you know the Deranged Mankind character <laughs> had different entrant, entrance and exit themes. But do you know why? We sat down with Jim Johnston, the legendary composer, and he broke down the psychology and creative process behind all the WWE iconic themes we grew up on. Check it out over at adfreeshow.com. I
1: will say, Jim Johnston did a great job, but it was my suggestion to Vince. I wanted to have separate exit music. I love it. And he said, okay, how come? I said, because... I want people to think the only thing that gives me inner peace is creating human destruction, and uh, and so that's where the piano music came in. I love it. Yeah. So all right, we're gonna do this, but we're gonna do it as mankind, right? Okay. A last episode that we discussed my feeling. Mother's Day was only ah. We're all right. We're gonna do it acapella. Suffering to be seen as a real holiday because it lacked both an iconic song and a beloved historical character to visit. So, here we go. Happy Mother's Day. Come on, join in.
0: Happy Mother's Day.
1: Happy Mother's Day.
0: Happy Mother's Day.
1: I'm mankind and I'm bringing a Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. To you. It's a Mother's Day season.
0: Mother's Day season.
1: I'm mankind. I'm coming around. My big black boots are hitting the ground. My sock is white and my mask is brown. And I'm coming to your hometown now.
0: Happy Mother's Day. (laughs) That's what you say. You'll be coming to your hometown now. Uh, It's way better when you do it on Cameo,
1: though. Before we do Father's Day, I'm going to have a clip of uh, uh, sending... Uh, a message to Kobe Lopez for his first Father's Day with Mickey doing background.
0: Oh, my oh goodness. My goodness.
1: It's, it's stunning to see that come together. <laughs> and by the time I'm done, like I am in the zone as either of the characters. But I do try to make it fun. It is a cool song um i love doing them and i'm only about 180 reviews away from hitting 5,000, oh, which is almost triple of what any other wrestler or athlete has done that's amazing. so uh it's amazing and it's amazing that the, you know the fans think enough of me it's it's not cheap i think it's reasonable but it's not cheap and people pay that price because they want to see the smile the
0: do you have a graduation song do we have one of those
1: with that where dude would come in with the all-purpose song, graduation. Well, I'm just saying, graduation's right Yeah, yeah. Uh, graduation, Mother's Day. Yeah, brother, I'll get it done. And I, if I have to, I'll write a new graduation song. But dude does a nice job. Funeral. Oh, gosh. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> oh, gosh. Let's put the, the... fun in funeral. <laughs> and I looked up and I said, this is not actually a video. Oh,
0: I, I, It got all over me. I was like, listen, I'm all for having fun, but that might be a little too far. All the fun is at Cameo. Tell everybody where it is, Mick. Cameo.com
1: slash Mick Foley. If they want to see where I'm going to be, uh, go to realmcfoley.com.
0: Absolutely. Pick up that swag at foleyispodshirts.com. Interact with Mick over on Instagram at McFoley. And if you've got questions for the show, and uh, we certainly want to hear what you think is the most disgusting thing you've seen in wrestling before, hit us up on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Foley is pod. We'll be back next week. Talking all things ECW right here on Foley is pod. Fight plus is the ultimate digital platform for live sports and entertainment. And they're now offering a free seven day trial at tryfight.com. Fight Plus is packed with a premium live event schedule, over a thousand hours of live action every year, and a library of more than 4,000 hours on demand, plus exclusive content you can't get anywhere else. Fight is a great partner of ours. They support us, so let's support them. Give that free seven-day trial a shot, and you'll be a member for life. That's tryfight.com. T-R-Y-F-I-T-E dot com
1: hey guys double j jeff Jarrett. need to call a timeout real quick here i wanted to tell your listeners what i've been telling my world listeners for a while now it's about all the incredible things happening over on freeshows.com. an all-new edition of the insiders is here as conrad welcomes david zahdi the man behind so many iconic video packages wwf fans grew up on including one that left vince in tears you got it and conrad i swear i walked outside the studio and Vince was sitting down on the concrete floor, crying hysterically, just saying
0: thank you. Thank you. Wow. Thank you. I went up to old Kevin. He says, good job. Can't wait to see it. Fifteen minutes later in the stairwell, Vince is still sitting down in a different spot now, crying, saying thank you. Thank you.
1: Jim Johnston created the soundtrack for generations of WWE fans with some of the most iconic themes in history. Jim sits down with Conrad to take us behind
0: some of those classic themes, including The Ultimate Warrior. And then I recorded that. And then just over that, you're just doing. You know, it's so simple, but that's what felt like him.
1: Hey, that's just a small taste of what AdFree Shows has waiting for you, including a brand new perk, getting to join in on the live recordings of the shows with four levels to choose from, see for yourself, why Ad-free shows is the best value in wrestling today. Sign up now at adfreeshows.com. That's right, sign up today at adfreeshows.com.